welcome to Tech Law Talks. I am Anthony Diana, a member of Reed Smith's Tech and Data Group. In each episode of this podcast, we will discuss cutting-edge issues on technology, data, and the law. We will provide practical observations on a wide variety of technology and data topics to give you quick and actionable tips to address the issues you are dealing with every day. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Tech Law Talks. This is Sarah Bruno. I'm a partner with Reed Smith here in San Francisco, and I'm in the Tech and Data Group. I'm very excited today to be joined by my friend and colleague, Jason Gordon, who's in the Entertainment and Media Group at Reed Smith and out of our Chicago office. Hi, Jason. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me today. Like Sarah mentioned, I'm in our Entertainment and Media Industry Group focusing on advertising law. And I work a lot with influencer marketing, which seems to be the topic of the day, Sarah. Yeah, and it is the topic of the day. And actually, Jason, you'd be surprised. I have been now on a couple of calls just this morning, just about influencer, and I've been saying your name a lot. So I was actually, this this call is more than timely today. Because I hope I'm, all the things you said weren't all bad. <laughs> Not yet, but we're going to see how this goes, okay? <laughs> Absolutely. No, and I know that we were recently, the reason we were talking about doing this podcast today is that we recently did cover off a, a, a transaction involving influencers and the cross-section of both of our practices, um, you on the social media influencer side and with all the marketing issues that that client, that brand was facing. And then you brought me in because of the privacy issues with the influencers as well. And I, I wanted to know if you were comfortable talking a little bit about that issue in particular, because I know the influencer topic, like I said, is coming up almost routinely and daily, in, in, at least in your practice and a little bit in mine as well. Absolutely, Sarah. The issue with influencer marketing seems to be the intersection of various different types of laws, which are sort of shrouded by the larger umbrella of the FTC endorsement and testimonial guides, which really govern influencer marketing uh, from a U.S. perspective. And although compliance with the FTC guides in and of themselves aren't a violation of the law, the FTC takes the position that failure to comply with the guides is a violation of Section 5 of the FTC Act prohibiting unfair deceptive acts or practices. So we really have to look at this through the lens of compliance. And I think what's so interesting when we're talking about influencer marketing is not only do we need to ensure that the advertiser and the influencer are talking to themselves, or rather talking to each other uh, about what can and can't be said, Uh, ensuring adequate disclosures, there's still the independent obligation on behalf of the advertiser to disclose, or rather to ensure that the marketer discloses the material connection. They have to monitor. And I think that's, that's what's particularly interesting is we're getting a lot of pushback or a lot of questions from clients saying, well, if we just give these folks our social media policy, would that be sufficient? Can we just sort of tell them here's our policy and go with God? And unfortunately, that won't work because the FTC said that the advertiser has an independent obligation to monitor and take down or modify non-conforming posts. So I think we see a lot of that. In particular, I think that where it becomes, there's this additional layer where I think you and I are working on is in the gaming industry or in the cosmetics world, where influencers might make claims or statements about a given blush or mascara or lip gloss or lotion and or shampoo or conditioner. And, and I think what we're seeing is, or and it really requires counseling, is ensuring that the influencers aren't making unsubstantiated claims, that the advertiser ultimately would be responsible 
for the claims being made by those influencers. But I think those aren't the only issues that come up. I think we see a lot of privacy issues that manifest themselves in these programs too. We do. And I do want to get into that. I Before we do, though, I you said something that I thought was interesting. Well, one, it, it is the brand that gets in trouble when an influencer goes rogue, right? Yeah. I mean, I think we need to acknowledge that the FTC guides and the FTC is not shy about going after an ad agency, an advertiser, and the influencer themselves. But at the end of the day, who's the deep pocket here? Who's the one that's going to make splashy headlines? I mean, yes, Kim Kardashian being called out by the FTC is going to make great front page news, but it's going to be the big brands. And those are the ones who are going to have to adhere to a seven or 20-year consent decree they're the ones who may, in worst case scenarios, have to pay civil penalties and damages and or redress in the form of refunds back to, to consumers. And then the second point uh, you made that, that I thought was interesting, you were talking about cosmetics and you mentioned gaming. And I know that an, an issue that we spoke about recently was gaming companies and the potential morals clause that we may want to include in an influencer agreement just to make sure because we have to think through what the brand wants to be associated with. And I know that this has come up with some of the clients that I've worked with. It's just, you know, making sure, you know, do we allow them to curse? Do we allow them to drink? You know, do we allow our, what what can we allow the brand to be associated with, with these influencers? And what do we have to carve out as being not something we want to be associated with. And I didn't know if you've if you've dealt with a morals clause or if you've had that issue come up with your practice. Absolutely. It, it comes up in every negotiation because while some of the things are commonplace, like making sure that uh, our hired influencers aren't felons or convicted felons, there are other issues that might be unique to a particular brand. For example, if the advertiser is an insurance company or an automotive company, they might be particularly concerned not about not, not only felonies, but if their influencer gets pulled over for speeding or for drunk driving. Similarly, a big box retailer might care about even something as misdemeanor as, as stealing a pack of bubble gum or some sort of shoplifting charge. So it's important when we're thinking about influencers to when we're on the advertiser side to look at the morals clause through the lens of that advertiser, not only about, hey, we want to make sure that they're not murderers, but also there might be specific misdemeanors or other crimes or conduct that are so uh, off-brand for a given advertiser that at the end of the day, they say, this isn't the right message we want to communicate. This isn't the right influencer for our brand. Oh, that's interesting. And I know that you, the transaction that we just recently worked on together, we luckily didn't have that. And I think, again, I know that some brands are, are have different tiers of influencers, um, depending on what they're planning to do. And in that one in particular, I know there was a concern. And the reason you and I were working on it together was there was a concern with who owns the data. And certainly that does come up with a lot of these agreements. And I don't know, I mean, you're looking at it from the brand standpoint, and I often come in from the privacy standpoint, but do brand, brands do want to own that data from the influencers, right? I mean, that's what I've seen. Absolutely. I think from an ownership perspective, they might be using this to help build out their CRM or help build out their touch points. But I think what is going to be interesting and where it becomes potentially complicated is what is the role of an influencer? Is the influencer simply to be a mouthpiece or an advertiser or a vocal cheerleader of a given product or a brand? 
or are we empowering them to collect data on our behalf and become the advertiser's CRM database? I don't really like option two because I think that most folks like Kim Kardashian and Kylie Jenner are not equipped to behave like a sales force. But I don't know, what what sorts of things are you seeing in the data issue? Yeah, I completely agree. The issue though I see is that influencers gain more leverage. They do want to own that data because they feel like their followers are, you know, part, that that they have a right and they have an obligation. And I'm sure you've seen this too with the obligation of being truthful to their followers. They also want similarly want to make sure or feel some responsibility with respect to data. That said, at the end of the day, the influencers are business folks and they appreciate that if they're going to be I know a lot of them, and we can talk about this if if we have a little bit of time, but receive products. And like you said, that that has to be disclosed, that material connection. But then that when they receive a product, if they get, you know, a bunch of followers or have to, you know, promote a promotion as part of that through their feeds. I know in those cases, those influencers do feel like they at least want to have co-rights to that data that they were able to generate as a result of the promotion that they're facilitating for a brand. But, you know, working with the brands, I actually, I, we do push for the brand to own that data, but I just know it's not always a clean line. I think that's right. But at the end of the day, if the influencer isn't really getting paid a whole heck of a lot or all they're getting is free product or the ability, the opportunity to appear in ads, I think it's a hard case for the influencer then to say that they're going to own the data. Now, let's also take a step back and be a little bit practical here. If the influencer is the one collecting the data and they give it to to the advertiser and then they go ahead and use it themselves, I really would find it uh, a hard case for an advertiser to then go around and turn around and sue the influencer anyway. So yeah, we can have this debate over ownership, but I think at the end of the day, the enforcement likelihood where advertisers are going to be going after influencers is is relatively low risk. And so maybe it's it, the, the discussion, even even not with, you know notwithstanding whatever the contract says, ensuring that the advertiser gets the data and that they can do with it what they need to do to fulfill their own marketing campaign. Yeah, that's good. And I think one other issue, and I know we both do IP work as well. I know one other issue that comes up, and and I'm interested in hearing your take on this, is IP issues with influencers and how that also can impact a brand. Because I know a lot of them include music and or third-party products in the background. How, how do you deal with that with the contract with an influencer when you're working with a brand? That's a huge issue that comes up because there are a whole litany of different legal regimes in the intellectual property world and intellectual property adjacent laws that present real risks to an advertiser. Importantly, advertisers, when they hire influencers, like I said before, these are their mouthpieces. And as such, anything that the influencer says or does on behalf of the advertiser is going to make the advertiser ultimately responsible and liable. Now, the tricky thing is, unlike an ad agency that's probably owned by one of the big publicly traded companies, an influencer is probably not going to have sufficient insurance to back up any indemnity obligations they agreed to nor do they have the money to pay the bill should the advertiser get a demand letter from some third party. So the sorts of things we think about are trademark, copyright, and right of publicity, among other claims. In 
in many cases, an influencer, especially unsophisticated influencers, will consider posting photos that they don't own or they don't have the copyright to, and there'll be some potential risk there. Like you said, there might be third-party products appearing in the background. Are there trademark claims or in a worst case scenario, are there exclusivity provisions in the agreement being breached because, by way of example, the influencer happens to be displaying both Gatorade and Powerade in the same photo? And then, like you said, there are music risks because uh, copyrightable music that's not in the public domain and not usually more than 100 years old is going to require permission and or license fees. In most cases, an advertiser won't be prepared to pay, and certainly the influencer isn't going to have the money to pay that. So it will require, I think, a lot of training. And I think that's where we start from, is ensuring that we have an influencer who is sophisticated, who's done this before, who's well-versed in the rules of the road with truth in advertising, copyright, right of publicity, trademark, and the basic concepts and principles of disclosure as set forth in the FTC endorsement and testimonial guides. But it really can present risks to the advertiser, which, yeah, they can require the uh, influencer to indemnify the advertiser, but it's unlikely that these influencers have insurance to back up their indemnity obligations. As well, it's unlikely that they're actually going to foot the bill in the event of a lawsuit at the end of the day. Yeah. And I did have one more question for you just on your side. I Again, from the data side, we absolutely want this, which is to target US only and maybe limit Europe. But I'm wondering with influencers, if you have that ability to do that on the brand side, or if you don't mind if they say that they're global and they, they hit every feed they can. No, it's actually super interesting. So I had a situation for a major consumer packaged goods company where an influencer who was retained by the parent company in Europe created a post, didn't disclose, and then we got a letter from the Federal Trade Commission three days later and had to explain that this was an influencer outside of the United States. So it's important to uh, perhaps geofence the posts if possible. Certainly, we want to ensure that they are in English. If they are in French or German or Italian, then that might be a world where U.S. law may not apply if it's not the U.S. handle. But it is tricky when we're dealing with global influencers. Moreover, it will be industry specific. So it's important as we see the growth by way of example of cannabis and advertisers who are in that space, if they're interested in running an influencer marketing campaign, I think the first stop is let's look at the social media policies for the various platforms to see if we can even put an influencer on one of our platforms. And if the answer is no, it might inform either the return on investment or the initial price we're willing to pay the influencer to promote the brand if they can't legally do it on a given platform. Yeah, well, that's very interesting. And like I said, I know on our side, it complicates things. And one of the things we're dealing with with the data side is where do we fit this influencer just with CCPA and and some of the new laws? I mean, where do they fall? Some of them meet the thresholds of, you know, in order to have to comply with CCPA. And then you're also just thinking through, are they a service provider or not? And their obligations there. And I know that that started to be a component of the agreements that you've been looking at and passing on occasionally um, to take a look and we have to think that through. 
I think that there's sort of that intersection too, because certainly an advertiser doesn't want to scare away a key influencer by saying, hey, you know this big, scary California privacy law now? We, you need to uh, comply with it, including all of the requirements that you delete any information you receive, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you're right. That's why I'm definitely coming to you to help message this and also provide a good risk analysis to the clients on whether or not this is just something that's you know a must-have or a nice-to-have yeah. um, and, and, and how, we, how we navigate that. Yeah, and it certainly it just depends on the influencer, and not many. I mean, in in the while there's a lot of influencers, not many meet those thresholds. But still, we work with brands that are partnering with influencers who do. And to your point, yeah, we don't want to muck up the transaction with this data stuff. On the same token, we are having to think through, you know, where we draw the line with respect to what we obligate them to do on our behalf, as far as those. Well, and I think we saw that with our with the program that you and I worked on for the cosmetic company, where we counseled the client to really only seek influencers who were over sixteen, as opposed to thirteen and fourteen and fifteen year olds. Because it presents all of those data issues you're worried about Mm -hmm. um, on younger tween influencers, TikTokers and and such. Yeah, you have to consider whether or not there was a sale of data in that 13 to 16 and then have an opt-in. And yeah, luckily, they just decided not to allow those participants to be part of the promotion there. But certainly, I know that, and just one last point on that, this is what you and I always, the first step in these deals, and when you can't pull someone from the data side in, I know that your first question is, what is the nature of the data and how much? And that it's always the first question in these transactions is, you know, where's the data coming from and what type of data are we actually collecting? And then from there, we can make a decision about who's responsible and compliance obligations. So is there anything else that you wanted to chat about today or should we let you go back to your um, practice there? I, I think I think we can call it a day and, and catch up again soon. Okay. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining. And we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Tech Law Talks is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's tech and data practice, please email techlawtalks at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and ReadSmith.com. And our social media accounts at ReadSmithLLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. All rights reserved.